You, you don't need to rush. Yeah. No, it's good. Just take your time. As, uh, as many of you guys know, our friend uh, Mike Bielman is today is, uh, I would say, more alive than he's ever been. He is with our Lord. And it, it's crazy that even in sadness that there could be joy in Christ. There's no other way. I just want to tell you that. That today, that uh, we, have, uh, we have the family here. And I, I thank you. Thank you, Brandy, for being here too. And Gavin, thank you guys for being here. And, um, I, and I know a lot of you guys are here just uh, are mourning as well. There's a lot of uh, laughter and tears. And it's just, it's just who Mike was. Uh, in, in Proverbs 10, 7, it says, The memory of the righteous is blessed. Think about that for a moment. The memory of the righteous is blessed. And, uh, and, uh, and I would have to say that I am blessed for, uh, for being a friend with Mike for so much. I thought I was going to be a little more together. I was good in the car. I am so blessed for being friends with Mike for too long. I don't know. Yeah, forever. I bought my wedding ring at Mike's shop. That tells you like that. So it's at least 17 years ago, you know. So we've been friends a long, long time, which is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I knew Mike before you left. <laughs> Isn't that kind of nuts? Yeah, and uh, we've, we've shared so many memories, and every time Candace puts a bunch of pictures up, I'm just like, oh, Candace, <laughs> all these pictures, and we've cried off and on every day because we laugh, uh, because you can't, we try to stay, you know, even if you try to stay sad, you start laughing about something, uh, and we've shared so many beautiful memories, and, and you know, at the end of the day, we said, nothing matters more than people. When God says love God and love people, it, there was no asterisk after you do this, that, and the other thing, right? There was no asterisk. Like, uh, can we be? Can we continue to be a people that love God deeply by loving others well? That if we're gonna jump into any place, if we're going to land as a church in any way, that we would be a church known for the love of God and for the love of one another. And, uh, and uh, as I was thinking, as we were talking with the family yesterday, that's, that's who Mike represented to me. I said, Mike loved so many people, and he loved people he didn't even like. <laughs> I would tell him, why are you best friends with these people that you say, like, you don't really have too much in common with? He's like, I don't know. I just love them. And, they'd, you know, I'm like, maybe I'm one of those people. <laughs> But he loved people, he loved people well. And that is a beautiful legacy that uh, he has given us. And uh, today, I just want to do something. Can we pray? Can we pray for his family? Because you know it's a journey for those who have lost. You know it's a journey. So I want, I want you guys just to reach your hands to this row right here, this third row right here. You can put your hands on their shoulder. Uh, 
But I, I want you guys to know we love you. Love you, Gavin. I love you. And this church family has been praying endlessly for you guys. And uh, I, wanna, I just want us to start off this way because I think it's right. Just take a moment. Lane, just play for a little bit. memory of the righteous is a blessing. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, your absolute peace that passes all understanding, that gives us laughter, even in sadness, knowing, Lord God, that our life is, this is just, we're looking at our life dimly, Lord God, but we will fully see one day, Lord God, and we will be with Mike. We will run with Mike, Lord God. That is the, that's the real life. That's the reality that we are taking part in, in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that his memory would amplify, Lord God, legacy in our hearts of love, Lord God. A memory of acceptance, Lord God, and of bringing people in. I know so many of us in this room have been invited to probably Easter dinner from a stranger named Mike Billman, Lord God, because he loved well, Lord. I pray that his legacy and really your legacy would live on at Hill City Church, that we would be a church that loves well, that loves our city well, that stands with people, Lord God, who struggle, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, even on a day like this, we honor you and we say, bless, Lord God. Blessed be your name, Lord God. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Please keep uh, this family in your prayers. Um, and we are having a funeral this Saturday um, at 1 o'clock at Thrive Church. That's on 92nd and Federal with the green metal roof. And uh, they've given us a place there. And, of course, there's a reception after. With There's going to be a lot of food in Mike fashion. Um, it's just what it is, right? But uh, just please, oh, you guys are invited to be there to celebrate. Um, and uh, there's a Facebook page. I, th I think it's called Mike Bielman Memories page. Uh, please, if you have pictures, please put them up. Uh, we're just sharing stories and pictures. And uh, just thank you for being a part of that. I know that uh, this family has lost and many of you guys have lost as well. Um, but I want you guys to be there for a celebration, for a celebration of life. We don't celebrate death. We celebrate life. And we celebrate the life of a friend, a father, uh, just so much more, a husband, and uh, our crazy friend, Mike. We love him so much, and we're so grateful. At this time, I'm going to ask Hannah to come up, and uh, she's going to speak to you today. Just, just ready our hearts. Just ready our hearts. Well, if you're new with us today, I'd just say that 
that is what Hill City's all about, is, uh, is loving people well. I did not know Mike that well, but um, just the memory of his legacy and how kind he was pe to people and how much he affected different people's lives has been um, an incredible witness to me and to, I, I know so many people who didn't know him, but know people who know him. And um, I just encourage you, if you are new here today, to become a part of a community that loves God and loves other people like Mike did. Um, today, we are continuing our series of Rooted. And in this series, we've been answering questions that are basic to a Christian's beliefs. And we've been trying to build this foundation, rooting down deeper into our faith in Jesus and figuring out uh, how to build that foundation that keeps us strong in the middle of difficulties. And the question today is, where is God in the midst of suffering? Uh, you know, from everything that we've shared this morning, that as a church, this is a very timely question. And I know that there are people in this room who are suffering in ways that they have not expressed to anyone, even the people sitting next to them, that there are things happening in people's lives right now that are a hardship to them that might not be known to anybody but God. And so I think it's especially important that we figure out how we answer this question from the Bible, from God's word. As some of you guys know, uh, ever since before I started at Hill City over a year ago, I've been working on a thesis, which is just a long, long paper so that I could graduate and uh, get my master's degree. And some of you may know that this thesis is actually on the topic of suffering. Uh, more specifically, is about looking at the book of 1 Peter and seeing how Peter used the story of Jesus's suffering and death to encourage a community that was being harassed and uh, persecuted for their faith, being isolated from communities, being, you know, just insulted and all sorts of things. And so I studied how Peter uses that story to encourage suffering slaves, suffering wives of unbelievers, and just the whole church community in this region in modern day Turkey. And it was really weird because I, I wouldn't say I picked the topic lightly. I did really want to dig into the topic of suffering and how that question is answered in the Bible. But I didn't know when I started that incredibly, inexplicably, all of a sudden I just saw suffering everywhere. Like the minute I decided on that topic and submitted it to my advisor. And at first it was just in the broader world, you know, it was just on the news. I kept seeing it everywhere. And then it became closer to home. And I was seeing suffering in people I knew, uh, people who had received a cancer diagnosis, people who are suffering uh, because their marriage was broken and they are getting a divorce, people who are suffering from illnesses, people who had, had miscarriages, all these people around me. And I wouldn't even know they were going through this until for some reason they asked me, what are you writing your thesis on? And I'd say suffering. And I'd try to make a joke out of it. I'd say, you know, I know it's not a very happy topic. It's not, not really something you talk about at a party. And without fail, every single one of those people 
said back to me, no, but it's really needed. We really need that. And they'd share with me, you know, at one in one instance, a lady who had just lost a friend to suicide and all these other different times when people would reach out and say, yes, we need to talk about suffering. And we don't tend to talk about it a whole lot in church. And from the Bible, you hear some people preach, you would think it's not mentioned at all. Uh, but then in my experience writing this paper, it wasn't just people around me. It hit closer to home. There was a family member who attempted suicide, and then we left a church we had been at for a long time, and I spent a year in some really deep doubt uh, that I was supposed to be doing anything related to the Bible at all, and I was having this you know, sort of imposter syndrome every time I would go to my classes and think, what am I doing here? I am not as smart as these people. I have no idea what they're talking about. And God is never going to use me if he has a choice of all these people. And, uh, and definitely there's been blessings along the way too, but I have to tell you, I was very glad to be done with that thesis because it almost felt like a curse. As soon as I picked suffering, it just showed up everywhere around me. But the more I worked and read and wrote about suffering, the more I realized it is a really important topic. And yet, even after putting the period at the end of that paper, realized there is no good answer to why. Everyone wants the why answered. And there's lots of theological constructs. People write pages and pages about why God allows evil and why there's suffering in the world. And they write about the brokenness and free will and God's sovereignty and all those key words you hear again and again. But nobody has ever written anything that actually adequately explains what you're going through when you're suffering. And at the end of it, you still have to look sorrow in the face. You have to look suffering in the face and you don't really have any words to explain what that experience is like. So like I said, the Bible actually does say a lot about suffering, and it doesn't deny the ugliness of it in any way. The Psalms speak a lot about it. In Psalm 88.3, it says, I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit and am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your care. Psalm 42 says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? By my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Suffering is everywhere. It's old and it's new. It seems random and jarring and unjust and wounding. And we see that over and over again in the Bible. It lists it over and over again until as the reader, you have to assume God's not interested in covering up sorrow or suffering. He is aware and he's interested and he's present to this experience that we have. And no matter how we try to avoid it or feel uncomfortable around it, how we answer the question of suffering is one of the most important things we'll ever do as believers. 
So in answering where is God in the midst of suffering, let's turn to our scripture, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We celebrate the word of God at Hill City because it reveals Jesus and Jesus changes everything. So starting in verse 3, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. In this passage, I want to suggest there are three possible answers to the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? He's there in comfort, in the person of Christ, and in community. Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians after his first greetings by calling God the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And it's really interesting if, if you look at the Greek that the word compassion is actually plural. So it's compassions, the God of compassions, not compassion. And you might ask justifiably, who cares? What does that matter? Except that linguists recognize, and you can, uh, there's going to be a quote up there from a dictionary that says, this word is almost always plural to express the concrete forms of expression taken by the abstract concept. This means that it's not the God of the vague concept of compassion, but it is compassions, the actual, real, concrete, varied ways in which God expresses compassion to us. That's the difference between somebody saying, oh, you know, God loves you, and actually being the people who show God's love to others in real concrete ways. He is also called the God of all comfort, the God, you could say, of all consolation or encouragement. And I think the first way we see God in the midst of suffering is here. God is present in comfort. Comforting us in our troubles through concrete action, through other people, through the feeling of his peace and presence, through acts of love that are provided by other people, through every moment of encouragement that's gleaned from his word, and through remembering every time he's moved in our lives, in the past and in the present. 
And this comfort, this actual solid, real thing, is what actually allows us to comfort other people. As verse 4 says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How many times have you seen this in people that because they've received the love of God themselves, because they know the reality of it in a deep place, that they can turn around and comfort others who are in distress? The next place we find God in suffering is through the story and example of Christ. Verse 5 says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. There is no person in history, no person in your life, who can understand your suffering like Jesus has. We often forget that he lost people, that he probably lost his earthly father, that he lost his cousin John to a corrupt murderer, that he lost his hometown when he started his ministry and everyone thought he was some weirdo wandering the countryside with this band of followers. He lost his family in some ways because they didn't understand what they were doing and they criticized him. And his closest friends and followers couldn't understand what he was doing either because we get account after account of the disciples asking what he means when he talks about suffering. And of course, there's the suffering we're more familiar with, the betrayal of Judas, who had spent at least three years by his side, the false arrest, the abandonment of his friends, the accusations, the humiliation of being beaten and mocked and spit on, publicly tried, being convicted unjustly, when the other choice was a murdering man, brutally lashed, forced to carry the instrument of his death killed in horrific fashion, put on display, naked, trembling, abandoned, and then somehow put under the weight of all the sin of the world. Are you suffering in loneliness? Christ has been there. Are you suffering despair, the brokenness of human families, the accusation or mistreatment of others? Jesus has been there. There is no suffering that he does not know. And it's his followers who are following in his path, joining in in this story, who can make sense of their suffering because they know they're following him past it to ultimate victory. Because just as it, he's the one who comforts us in knowing our despair and our discouragement, he's also the only one who makes a way to victory over all the brokenness of this world. And we share in that. He makes a way, not, not just or most importantly, to be in perfection, but to be in perfect relationship with the one who will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. I don't know, this is probably going to seem like an awkward time to ask this question, but is anybody a fan of The Good Place? <laughs> well, oh, okay, two, two people, three. <laughs> so hopefully I won't spoil the finale for you, but I was watching the finale, and I found it really interesting and sad, and not just because it was the end of a good show, but in the finale, paradise is everything you could ever want. 
So much so that after a certain amount of time, or Jeremy Baramese for fan of, fans of the show, after a certain amount of time, you grow bored with it because you've had everything you could ever want. For some people, that's reading great works of philosophy or finding closure with relatives or having the perfect day with your soulmate. And for others, it's uh, playing the perfect game of Madden. So the solution they come up with is that when they are ultimately fulfilled by all the stuff they didn't get on Earth, all the stuff they could ever want, they can choose to pass into non-existence. Because in this show, that is the limit of human imagination. That paradise has to be just, you know, fulfillment of everything we could imagine we want on Earth and we can't get. So after that, after you get that, after you reach that point, what's the point in sticking around? But as Christians, we don't believe in a paradise that's made meaningful by the stuff or the experiences that we can imagine. We believe in an eternal life that matters because it starts right here and right now in service to a king that we know knows us completely and fully and will fulfill even the desires we can't imagine that we want and we'll have the most remarkable relationship ever the one with him dallas willard writes we are never ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in the full world of god and i want you to take note of that word full because when we're there we will fully delight in him as he fully delights in us. And every good thing you could ever imagine will be increased infinity fold because every fulfilling work will be even more so fulfilling and we will have our proper places in his kingdom as fully creative, fully recognized, fully active, fully expressive people, the people he actually made us to be. So the good place finale or the traditional image of cherubs playing harps on clouds. Yeah, those are boring and disappointing if we think heaven is like that because they're just a poor reflection of what our human imagination can come up with. But there, we're never going to grow bored or too filled with joy in all the time we're there with him. So we have to hold on to that hope, which we have in Christ, who passed through suffering to victory. And the victory is ours when we believe in him. Lastly, God is with us in the midst of suffering through community. God has placed his body here as an interconnected community to share both grief and joy. In verse 6, Paul wrote, If we are distressed... It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. As a leader in the church, Paul knew there was a sort of symbiosis in his relationship with the communities he was a pastor of, or at least the beginning pastor of, and he had confidence that by his example of leaning into God, leaning into Christ, they would also find comfort. He knew he was not beyond help 
that he, even as a leader, had to ask for their prayers. As verse 11 says, as you help us by your prayers. When we're at the end of our rope, the Bible does not call us to American individualism, to figuring out how to pick ourselves up and put the pieces together. He requires an attitude of humility, one that says, I need help. That's really hard for us to say. It's really hard for us to turn to somebody and say, I need help. Maybe you're too full of suffering or maybe you're struggling with even the self-loathing that needing help sometimes brings up in people. But we need to admit that we need help and trust that God will meet us there through the people we tell. And it also requires from the community around suffering people the attitude of saying we don't have the answers. We are so quick to give answers, but the community has to say, we don't have the answers, but let's trust God together. Let's love each other well. And that means that you can't give cheap replies to suffering. We don't give out platitudes or easy answers or things we would hate for anyone to say to us if we were in the same place. I want you to know it's really interesting. When you are intentionally listened to, scientists have proven this through work on neurology, when you are intentionally listened to, your brain translates that as love. When you sit with someone and you look them in the eyes and you're intentionally listening to them, your brain is translating that you are being loved. And sometimes the best thing we can do is just to sit and listen to people and to love people. And I think, I think the community here at Hill City has done a really good job of this. I've seen in people as they try to come alongside others in suffering and listen to them and love them. I just want to, you know, encourage everyone to keep going with that. Listen to people. Love them. Don't turn away because it's uncomfortable to see suffering. And then when we've received God's comfort from him from the comfort he provides from looking at the fellowship we have with Jesus through his sufferings and then his victory and also gain comfort from being in community with people we'll be able to recognize something that Paul did Paul wrote later in 2nd Corinthians in chapter 4 uh, starting in verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
as we trust God and look to Christ and commune with our family, we begin to look more and more like the one we're following. And it's a, it's a difficult, long process. It's not something that will ever be uh, made perfect on this side of eternity. But this process is used and not wasted by the God of comfort to turn his children into people who will live loving lives and be jars of clay that hold the illuminating glory of God. God is good. He will not let evil win. He will not let brokenness be wasted. And he sees your pain and he cries with you. And he's going to use it in some way. Really want you guys to, to think about that as we end. And I also want to um, pray a prayer that I had found in, uh, in a book called Every Moment Holy. And can I ask you just, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to stay sitting, that's fine. But can I just ask you to hold your hands out? I know that there is so much suffering going on in this room, and there's a lot of unspoken suffering, too, people feeling like they have to go through it alone, that they can't give that over to God, and they can't admit it to the people around them. And I just want to ask you to be vulnerable to God, that you don't have to, in this moment, tell somebody what that struggle is, though I encourage you to. You don't have to say anything out loud. I just want you to hold your hands out and ask God to meet you in this place. When I look at that loss, I see you in the deepest gloom of it, weeping with me, even as I hear you whispering that this is not the end, but only the still gray of the dawn before the world begins. Do not waste my great sorrows, O oh God, but use them to teach me to live in your presence, fully alive to pain and joy and sorrow and hope in the places where my shattering and your shaping meet. Lord, I just pray as we're here together opening our hands to you that you would meet us with your presence the sense of your peace and your mercy and your compassions, knowing that you're the God who loves us and knows what we're going through even more deeply than we could imagine. God, I pray for anyone who's suffering with unspoken things in their heart, that you would meet them here in this moment, that you would show them how much they are loved, that you would embrace them and give them hope through your comfort, through Christ, through the community around them. God, we just pray for your anointing as we praise you and worship you, knowing that right now in the midst of suffering, we might have to cry or hold someone or do whatever we need to do to express what's going on inside us to be vulnerable before you. And we know you're patient with that, that you're not hurrying us along, waiting for us to get better or to smile again. You know what we're going through and how long the process will take. So we surrender all of this to you, God. Surrender our community to you, that you would build us up into people who love well. 
surrender our lives to you, that we would take time to be vulnerable with people, to be broken before you, to recognize there's nothing on this earth that you will waste. God, we pray that you're just moving already in people's hearts, speaking to them. In Jesus' name, amen.
he's here right now, just allow him to speak to your heart. Whatever you're going through, the God of love is here. He's going to sing a different song, but I really feel his heart pressing on me right now. I just want to sing this together today.
actually one of Mike's favorite songs. He would, he would always tell us to sing it. So, we're like, we can't sing it every week, Mike. Uh, but he would come up to Jen and uh, tell her, you know how Mike is. Every time he would tell her, that's my favorite song. Yeah, that's my favorite song. You know, uh, but you guys can be seated as the ushers come forward. And 
going to do offering and do some announcements. And we'll just, just thank you so much. And I, I want to thank Hannah for that word. It was timely. It was, thank you so much. It's good for us to hear. The God of all compassions, that we can look to Christ and that we can find comfort and, and also we can mourn with those who mourn. We don't need to fake it. And please don't. We need to stand with each other when we're mourning. I don't want you to move on if you're not moving on. You know, we stand with each other in all the seasons of life. In all the seasons of life. But in the Word of God, in Galatians 6, it says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us good, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of believers. We believe that we are still called to love this city with the tangible love of Jesus, to attack spiritual and relational and physical poverty in this city, that we are here to make a difference. And that's what your giving is going to, to continue what we've started for community table, for so many different things, for groups, for so many things that we want to do to love our city well. And I pray that we can all partake in that. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you for that, that we will not grow weary in doing good, Lord. We have legacies of people who have walked well and led life well, Lord Jesus, and loved well. I pray that we would be a people that love each other well in the ups, the downs, the sorrow, and in the hopes, Lord God. We honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can pass that out. I have a couple of announcements. Um, life groups are still underway. Life groups are just people doing life together. We're going through the rooted curriculum. That means we have a book. Uh, I think we still have a couple we can sell. And we're just going through this, uh, this curriculum daily. We're all on the same page. We're all thinking about the same thing. And this week, it was crazy. It was on suffering. So I told Hannah, I'm not doing it. <laughs> it was my turn. I just said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> You're going to have to do this. And, and uh, so, but we are walking through the same way. And also, uh, other than life groups, we have the IF gathering in March 6th and 7th. So if you don't, if uh, it's a women's conference and it's a gathering uh, to be re refreshed, encouraged, and to go deeper with God and to get to know some amazing people. So if you've never been a part of it, and uh, if you want to be a part of that, please come out, sign up. Uh, I believe the sign up is in the back, uh, but also encourage people that you know to come out and to experience that together. I'm going to pray, then we're going to go, but thank you guys for being a part of this, worshiping God together, and then continue to pray for uh, this family as uh, the funeral is this Saturday at 1 at Thrive Church. And uh, pray, love on them, um, and make it about them. Take care of them. Take care of people. And then take care of the people right next to you, knowing that life is so short. Make things right. Forgive quickly. Hug longer, you know? <laughs> Even if you think you're weird, just do it. All right, just, just hold them. Say, I mean it. I love you. Thank you. Tell them all the things you're thankful about. But Heavenly Father, we honor you. We thank you. And as we go, we go 
knowing that even in our suffering, Lord, we can look to you, the God of all compassion, the Christ, Lord, who have walked in our steps, and that we can hold each other up in community. I pray let that be something that we continue to think about, continue to move towards, and uh, we continue to love people right around us well, as you did, as Mike did, Lord God. I pray we take one more step. We do not grow weary in doing good, because in due time, there's a harvest that is coming. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.